0: About two years ago, we were on holiday in South Africa, well, really visiting family. And we normally stay in Cape Town with uh, my mother-in-law in Plumstead. And I go to church on a Sunday morning at All Saints Plumstead, And um, the new priest rector there is, now believe you me, this has something to do with the Romans' reading. Uh, He is um, an African tribal person. That's never, ever happened in the past. He's the rector of that church. And to show off my scant knowledge of the African languages. His name is the reverend Mughule, Lujabe. Worry, I won't ask everyone to repeat it. And um, as I said, there's a link to the Romans reading in terms of that. And the Sunday morning, I think he was talking about prayer. And he started off by saying that his grandmother was a very devout person. And she had a tiny home, a tiny house. I think he said one bedroom and a small kitchen. And there were always lots of grandchildren playing around in grandma or makulu, grandma's yard. And every morning at the same time, let's say 10, 10.30, She'd call all the grandkids in, into this little room, and she'd pray with them. And the only prayer she'd pray is the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. And then they can go out and play again, and she would probably carry on with other prayers. And uh, when I remember that, and in terms of today's theme, I thought, simple evangelism all she did was pray the Lord's Prayer with them every single morning for I don't know how many years Um, and we'll come back to that one then coming to this side of the world and some of you might uh, know or remember that I said we started off in New Zealand we lived there for in Christchurch for nearly 3 years. And the reason I say that is uh, I don't want to reveal the identity of this bishop, but one of my bishops this side of the world came from a church family and he had a very British English Caucasian background from a very different culture to the priest in Cape Town, and he said his extended family, including grandma or nana, belonged to that church. And let's just say Granny Jones. Uh, I can't say Granny Smith because you might think I'm talking about apples. Granny Jones uh, was one of the leaders in that church, and Granny Jones ruled the roost at that church. And she could get her way most of the time. And he said one rule that grandma had was that you never question the priest. Especially after the service, you never question the priest. And as a young boy, he said, he had this burning question. So after church one Sunday morning, he stopped the reverend or the father or whatever the man in those days, his name was, and he asked the priest the question. And when they gathered at grandma's home after the service, as they usually do on a Sunday, he was in for it. He had to take the heat. How dare he ask the priest a question? I don't know how that sort of evangelism worked. The one grandmother used only the Our Father. The other grandmother was a very strong churchgoer and so on. But somehow the two grandchildren got the calling to become full-time priests. Something must have happened. Something more must have happened. And I'll try not to use what I used all the years, you know, that advert on TV that goes, but wait, there's more, two more st- uh, Knives, you know, for free and something like that. But there is more. I think it's reasonable to to assume that there must have been some other thing going on. God must have turned up somehow through someone else. God showed up and God's hand must have been in it. Because although grandmothers, in those cases, sowed the seed, Something else must have happened, I don't know what, in terms of them having become full-time priests. And I think think this is what Paul is trying to convey to the church, the fledgling church in Rome, that little community, if they were little, little. There were certain believers, especially the Jewish ones, who had this zeal for God. But, as Paul said, and I think it was in verse 5, it is not enlightened. That is to say, their zeal is being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. Their zeal and their eagerness in that they were seeking to establish their own kind of righteousness that they were taught as Jewish people. And they wanted to stick to the law. One of the bishops along the way, Bishop Alfred Holland, who's now retired, said to us some years ago that he went on a sabbatical to Jerusalem, St. George's College. And, um, I think it was a Saturday, the Sabbath day, uh, they were sitting in the lecture and a car alarm went off outside. And it went on and on and on. And the lecturer said, that car probably belongs to a Jewish person. But it's the Sabbath day, so they won't go and switch it off because that means working and you're not allowed to work. It's against the law of the Sabbath. So this Jewish person is probably waiting for an Arab friend to go and turn the alarm off there's a South African poem, I can't even remember who it was written by, I think it was Adam Small, or as we say, Adam Small. And the refrain in the poem is, what about the law? And then the question gets asked in the poem, whose law? God's law? Man's law? Devil's law? People's law? Whose law? But everyone just says, what about the law? What about the law? And I think this was probably true of the Jewish people in terms of their way of following their religion. What about the law? They did not submit to God's righteousness, but to the law. And I think this is what Paul is struggling with to convey to them. It's no longer a matter of the law or only the law. It is what Jesus has done. So these people seem to have realized that... um, they did not understand or did not want to take on board. But it is not quite what, they do, what they're they doing in terms of the law. It is what Jesus did very hard for them to, uh, to take that on board. And Paul is struggling, I would say, to convey to them God has shown up. God has made a personal appearance in and through Jesus Christ. So as they put their faith in Christ, in Jesus They are put right with God. Because putting your faith in Christ, putting your trust, your vote of confidence in Christ, is like putting all your life and loyalty into God's hands. Paul is at pains to explain that um, it's there for the Jew and the non-Jew and all the church in Rome with its many members from different cultural backgrounds and different cultural expectations. It is there for everyone. And if one reads verse 6a of chapter 10 of Romans, and you skip a few verses and you go to verse 9, I think it makes more sense. But we will come back to those verses in between. And if it reads like this, Uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, chapter 10, verse 6a, and then skip to verse 9. If you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you speak the words, plus believe in your heart. And the experts have gone further in analyzing that and saying that to the Jewish mind, the heart could also mean the soul. The heart and soul could also mean the intestines or intestines. So, the whole, I would say, of the torso is involved in putting your trust and faith in God. It's a very, very emotional and dynamic thing. Put your whole being in the hands of God, you know, the whole thing, I believe in Jesus Christ and so on. Meaning uh, something like this, and there's a song that has these words, let all that is within me, my whole being say and show, I believe in this Lord Jesus whom God raised from death. My whole, everything about me. I put in the hands of Jesus to get me to God, and I accept what God has done through Jesus. However, because Paul also comes to other things, uh, those other two verses, he stuck it in, and I think those words are rather puzzling. And I brought my own little NIV because I thought... um, Maybe the big Bible was a bit too heavy to handle, but I have a problem with this one. It's a very new Bible. The print is the same as the others, but they've used gray ink, not black ink. So, ah, there it is. Paul writes, but the righteousness that is by faith says, and this is a difficult part, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? And then comes the easy part. And I thought, why did Paul put this in? What does it mean? And I went to the various commentaries that I've got, and not one of them addresses it. They simply repeat those words. I thought, what does it mean? And I think think it means that Paul is saying, do not try and go to extremes to prove that you are receiving and accepting what God has done through Jesus Christ, especially for you. It is really a simple step of faith. Do not try to find intricate and difficult explanations. Do not try to analyze it too much. Just take the step in faith, saying with your lips and taking it into your life with all your being. Simply do that. And maybe understanding will come later. And that is available for the taking to anyone. Uh, one of my favorite writers, uh, Batman from Durban, what's his name again? Bucken, Angus Bucken. In his daily words, he makes he makes much of the word whosoever. Whoever whosoever, no matter where they were born, what their background, any origin, anyone, this is available to you if you want to take it on board. Why? Because in that church in Rome, the big city, there are members from various cultural backgrounds, as I've already said, a number of different cultural backgrounds, and they all have their own ideas. And he said, this is available for Jew and for whoever else. Earlier we heard of two grandmothers from two very different cultural origins who seemed to have had a hand in God reaching their grandsons. What about us? How will we do it? How should we do it? How do we go about it? How will you and I share the faith? with all nations. Townsville. I thought that might wake up, if I put you to sleep, that might wake you up. Townsville. When I was in Townsville working in a parish there, the church in Townsville, the whole church, showed many of us a sample of how to take the gospel or the good news to everyone, how to to take it out to people. Once a year in Townsville, all the churches come together. Every church is invited to come on board to do stable on the strand. And early in December, the churches have been clubbed together. They then begin to build all along the strand on the boardwalk. I don't know why they call it a boardwalk when it's concrete and a bitumen, but however, all along the boardwalk They built certain things in terms of trying to recreate where Jesus was born. The stable and all those things. And the city council uh, is involved. And all along the road, there would be little things. And I came across this last evening from um, Mr. Google. And if you go to Facebook, you'll see a big thing there about stable on the strand. Just putting stable on the strand. And it says here, Stable on the Strand is an annual nativity play in Townsville, Queensland. It has been described as part installation, part funfair, and part theatrical performance. The play is staged from the 18th to the 22nd of December on the Strand in Townsville. The festivities also include a mock Bethlehem, with actors playing soldiers, shepherds, and the Holy Family, the event attracts up to 40,000 visitors a year. Stable on the Strand is a family-friendly event that wants to see all the churches in Townsville working together. So all the churches are often involved. Sometimes there's one little or another little church that don't want to be involved. And in terms of that one year, They said to us, everyone who is involved, lay leaders, church leaders, pastors, priests, bishop, whoever you are, if you are involved, come to this training. We're going to train you how to talk to people along the boardwalk. We're going to try and help you understand what is involved in simply talking to people either about their faith or about Jesus and so on how to talk to a stranger. So we all gathered at the Mount Louisa Uniting Church, which I see is now called the House of Prayer, Mount Louisa House of Prayer. We gathered there, 7.30 p.m., and at 8.30 p.m., that same evening, and I learned the Alpha people years ago also had a similar experience, at 8.30 p.m. they said, we're going to have supper, and after supper we are all going to come back, and you find another person, and you're going to practice introducing them to Jesus. And I said, oh, blast. We, and as the man on Alpha said, I think it was the priest in charge of the church, Prebendry. I say Prebendary. he had uh, Sandy Miller. He had this big title. He's, he was talking about how they had John Wimber there to come and talk to them about healing. And he said he loved to hear talks on healing. He's got books on healing. He's got notes on healing. And John Wimber said, after morning tea, we're going to do some healing. at he said, oh, blast. And a similar thing happened, I think, to some of the people. However, after supper, we got back there, and they showed us one or two or three things and how to talk people, just a simple conversation. And come the real thing, at the Strand, I was on roster. For a couple of evenings and I must say I found it very awkward to talk to people to talk to visitors and so on but I got there in some way or another and the idea was that you struck up a conversation you had a identity badge on of course and uh, you struck up a conversation and at the end of the short conversation you would offer a prayer um, offer them to pray, and if they, if, if they wanted you to pray, that is. But in spite of them at training telling us we shouldn't do this, I kept on thinking, how is this going to benefit my church where I am at, at Townsville? What gain is there going to be for the little Anglican church that I am at? How is it going to help my church? But we were, we were told at training it was emphasized Don't worry about it being for your church. But I just couldn't stop myself thinking that. Am I wasting my time here? Could I have been of more help in my own church? Twelve years later, at the beginning of this year, I stumbled across the answer to my questions. We had to go to a clergy conference two years ago at um, SeaWorld. And at that conference, each of us was given a copy of this book, The Digital Cathedral. And I thought, hmm, when you're full-time in a parish, it's very hard to find time to read. And there's always something more important. However, at the beginning of this year, I thought, I'll take this book out again. And I slowly read, started reading through it very slowly, my pencil in hand, go back to that paragraph, read it. What does it say? Go back again, mark, put my own comments in, and so on. And so slowly this particular book helped me to see what I hadn't seen before. And I didn't realize at the time. And what the man wrote, and I'll tell you more about it in a moment, what he wrote, a Lutheran pastor from America, I suddenly realized that I had experienced some of the stuff, but had no idea that I did. For instance, I relearned quite a couple of things. He mentions in this book that it doesn't matter which church a person attends as long as they go somewhere. And I remembered one of our previous bishops, Bishop George Browning, used to say that. Another one. It also doesn't matter which church gains more members as long as people find the Lord or the Lord finds them. It doesn't matter. Another thing, worship services in the park. Yes, you've never heard of that, have you? Worship services in the park, yes. And I heard here that some people have come to this little church family as a result of worship services in the park. Another one, and this happened in the U.S. of A, Ash Wednesday, some clergy and someone else with them would go to the local uh, railway station and they'd offer people the ashes and a prayer as people were going to work early in the morning. And he writes that you'd be amazed at the number of people who turn up. And some say, no, no, we, we, won't, we don't want the ashes, but could you say a prayer, please? In New York City, some ladies came together with a minister or, or priest to cook a meal regularly, once a week, eat and worship with people of the street and discuss godly things with them. Some pastors in the US of A would simply go and sit at Starbucks, and now we all know what Starbucks is. We didn't have it before. We had Maccas. We still have mackers. Just go and sit there. And you'll be amazed at how people would come to you. Another thing I relearned in this particular book is, and I felt just a little bit awkward about it, not quite offended, a little awkward when I read, the man writes and he says, when we've been to church and we're ready to go home, as we go out the door, try not to have the little notion that, Um, we've been worshipping God, and now we're going to take God out to the world. He said, no, 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 no. God has been out in the world long before you arrived. I thought, wow, that's so true. God is out there in the world. God is very busy working out there in the world. He's been there much longer than I have. So don't think you take God out into the world because God is already there. And that reminded me of a sermon I heard many years ago. I won't tell you about the sermon, but where uh, the pastor emphasized what Jacob experienced, that he was out in the wilderness, that he had the snooze, that he put a stone under his head as a pillow or for a pillow, and he had this wonderful dream about God's presence. And when Jacob woke up, he said to himself, Surely... God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. God is in this place, and I didn't know it. And when I read that, I, I suddenly remembered I experienced some of it. And uh, I don't know if you expected this at karaoke. There I was in uh, – I won't give the, the proper name of the place because I didn't ask their permission – There I was at one of the hotel pubs in Manly, in Brisbane, not the Manly, in Sydney, and um, I was waiting to sing my song, and the DJ with whom we became friends, Sharon and myself became friends with them, DJ came over to me and and she said to me, do you mind choosing another song? Because you see that lady there, they've had quite a few drinks, she's with this group, and she's chosen that song. And if I let you sing it, she's gonna kick a big fuss, and she can get quite off her face and so on. So would you choose another song? I said, yes, I'll choose another song, and I'm sure you want to know the title. So I chose another Elvis song, Love Me Tender. And after I had sung my song and she had sung her song, I was sitting there, and then I noticed out of the corner of my eye this particular lady walking up to me, and I thought, oh, blast. I can see the headlines. It's going to the archbishop's office, priest in pub (laughs) brawl. And she came closer to me and bent over the table, big blonde hair almost in my face, and at a whisper, she said, you know that song that you just sung? I thought, oh, darn. You know that song that you just sung? I said, yes. She said, that is my mom's favorite song. I thought, oh, I sung her a song. And then she said, my mom just loves that song. She lights up in a smile when she hears that song. She's very, very ill at this time. She has Alzheimer's. But whenever she hears that song, she smiles, even with her Alzheimer's. And then she said to me, Thank you for making me think of my mum in this place. I thought, wow, I'm not even in the church office. I'm in a pub. It sounds like something that happens in a church office. And another time, this is the last one. I didn't want to say too much about this, but it was just amazing. Another time, some, I'd forgotten about that. And I'll come back to it in terms of, what happens in this uh, Romans reading. Reading Another time, months after that, there I was sitting, and Sharon just went out to one of the back rooms, the toilet or something, and we had just sung a song together. And this 17, 18, 19-year-old younger man came up to me, and I thought the same thing. Oh, blast. Headlines, priest in pub brawl. It's going to reach the Archbishop's office. Because he looked a bit mean. And he came up to me, and he said, you know, you and... That lady who just uh, yeah, my wife, said he said, you went up there singing. He said, how do you do it? Don't you get nervous? And I said, oh, well, but I wasn't going to say say to him as nervous as you get before every sermon or talk in church. I said, yeah, you are a bit nervous, but it sort of goes away. He said, "It's, it's amazing. You know, I just love to sing. How do you do it? You know, just go up there and sing. And then he went on with this small talk conversation. He said, you know, I can't do that. He said, I really hated when it was at school. I hated show and tell. I could never go to the front there and talk to people. I said, oh, yes. And then he went on. And then he said, can you believe it? And then he said, I'm rather worried about that because my mom is very sick with cancer. I thought, "Whoops!" church office. My mom is very sick with cancer and I'm the only son and she's going to pass away sooner or later and I'm expected to say something at her funeral service and I don't know how I'm going to do it, he said. And I said to him, now of course, I'm sure you will have assumed I didn't wear collar or anything and say I'm a priest and all that, I said to him, you, you know what I think I'll do? I'll start now. Put down little notes and things, and every day add something you want to. And when the time comes, the ceremony, ask the funeral directors or whoever's going to lead the ceremony. Sometimes people don't quite understand when you say the service. They call it a funeral ceremony. When that time comes, just ask someone, a relative, a friend, or even the funeral directors. And he said, can I do that? I said, yes, I'm sure you can. He said, good heavens. Can I really do that, mate? And he shook my hand and said, thank you, mate, thank you. And again, I thought, good heavens, I would never have guessed this. But this particular man who wrote this book says similar things. He says, sometimes people just come up to you in the street. You're sitting on the chairs at a supermarket. You're standing somewhere, somewhere and someone talks to you. And in terms of what happened in the pubs, I afterwards I thought of what that pastor wrote and the fact that surely God is in this place, this hotel, this pub that seems so unruly. God is in this place and I didn't even know it. And sometimes you might come across that situation as well. And just be ready to be yourself and have a conversation. It might be that you are not the one to lead them to Christ, but maybe it's someone that you don't even know. And in that respect, it's a team effort in terms of everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved in one way or another. And maybe you will be involved with that, bringing people to Christ in that way. Well, may the Lord bless the little bit of breaking open of his word that it may bear much fruit to his honour and glory. Amen.